This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 14 of the college football season is in the books. Championship week upcoming week 13 of the NFL season in the books only four weeks left in the NFL season it is amazing that we are ready where we are at in both the NFL and college football season and I am here again this week to break it all down for you what I saw uh, look forward to what I'm uh, what I'm hoping to see during championship weekend talk about some NFL rookies in the NFL rookie report, especially some big picture looks in terms of as the season comes to the final month or so of the NFL season, some buy low windows, some guys that I'm having a hard time judging their long-term dynasty value. So I'll talk through those guys, give my takes on where I stand on some of these guys that I'm sure a lot of people have questions on. But let's start right at the top with the NFL draft report for week 14. Obviously, in the draft report, we talk and focus on draft eligible prospects in terms of this past week and also a little bit big picture in terms of stock up, stock down, you know, what we're hearing, uh, any rumors and whispers out there. Uh, So let's start the quarterback position. And I want to start with uh, Nate Stanley out of Iowa. You know, he's a guy who... For two years now, I feel like there has been some people out there who have looked at this guy and have talked about him as potentially being a round three prospect, maybe even could push himself in the round two, a top 100 guy. And every time I heard it, I thought to myself, am I missing something? Do I need to watch more of him? And I would watch more of him and I would still walk away the same thing that to me, he is a mediocre prospect at best. And this past week against Nebraska, not a team that is a strong defensive-minded, you know, upper echelon team. This only was 11 for 24 for 99 yards and an interception. And this is a guy who I don't see how, even if he has some intriguing measurables and there's some aspects of his game that people like, I don't see how the NFL looks at this guy and, and doesn't see him as a late round prospect or UDFA. I don't see a guy who's going to go in the top three or four rounds. You know, is it possible maybe around five or around six? Sure. I mean, at that point, there's very minimal, if any difference between around five to around seven prospect. And you can make the case that there's even not much difference between round five to around seven prospects and UDFAs in terms of their talent level. I think guys who were drafted in round five or six probably have a little bit more leeway, maybe get a little bit more of an opportunity than a seventh round pick or UDFA prospect. But I see Nate Stanley way more at the back end of the draft or a UDFA type prospect than I do as a guy who could be in the top 100. I just, I just don't see it. He, he has some flashes here and there. It's, it's, it's not all that dissimilar to Brian Lewarkey out of Michigan State, another guy who over the last two years, especially prior to last season, was getting a lot of publicity. And I just, I just didn't see it. And I, I kind of feel the same way with Nate Stanley. You know, maybe he's at the back end of the top 10 or top 12, top 15 quarterback prospects for this year's. Uh, but I don't see a guy who uh, is a guy who I think has any legitimate shot to be a top 100 pick. Uh, another guy I want to talk about is Shea Patterson. He's be, he's been a guy that Matt and I have both been fans of his game. Continue to question why he ever went to Michigan, and he, I think that was a bad spot for him in terms of his play style schematically what he does well he had started to show some progress over the the middle part of the season here towards the back end of it and then this past week against Ohio State you know 18 of 43 really struggled as a passer in terms of accuracy I mean he proved 305 yards so he had some big plays one touchdown one interception there's still individual components of his game that I'm intrigued by, but I'd be naive if I if I said I look at this guy and see anything more than similar to what I said about Nate Stanley. I like his skill set more than Nate Stanley, but to me, he's a guy who's probably a fifth or sixth or seventh round picks, maybe even a UDFA when when push comes to shove. So he's he's in that late round mix. I don't see a guy who, while I'm more intrigued with his skill set, he just hasn't shown the consistency that I think warrants, but I, but I do think because of some of his individual traits, because of some of his athleticism, what we've seen in the NFL now more with athletic 
quarterbacks making plays. I do think there might be a place for him in the NFL. So I, I think he is, I like his game better than Nate Stanley, but there's something about Nate Stanley that just seems that scouts are intrigued by more than Shea Patterson. But I think Shea Patterson's a better quarterback prospect. Uh, if I was just taking my own opinion into consideration, uh, some of the big guys, you know, we could talk about them every week, but I'll mention them again, Joe Burrow, you know, Texas A&M, they just, LSU just absolutely dominated in this past week, over 350 yards, three touchdowns again at this point. You know, unless Joe Burrow really flops this weekend in terms of, you know, and I mean, it would have to be a horrendous game. I don't see how Joe Burrow is not winning the Heisman. Uh, I think LSU, win or lose, they're probably still in the playoff. I mean, they would probably have to get annihilated this upcoming weekend uh, for them to fall out of the top four in terms of the playoff. So I think if Georgia wins, I think Georgia and LSU both make it in. Uh, and then Clemson and Ohio State provide they take care of business as well. Uh, if LSU wins, I don't know who's that going to be that four team in it, to be honest with you. Uh, Utah, maybe if they beat Oregon this week. Oklahoma, maybe if, if they win this week. But I, I think it's very much up for grabs if Georgia loses this weekend. Uh, another quarterback person I want to talk about is Jake Fromm this past week, 14 to 24, 257 yards and four touchdowns. I think this is a huge, huge upcoming week for Jake Fromm. We'll talk a little bit more about it when we talk about the tail of the tape and preview the games, but you know, Jake Fromm continues to go about his business. I think the NFL, like I have continued to say, he's probably going to be bigger fans of him than, than draft Twitter, than just the film straight people who don't aren't privy to, you know, interviews and whiteboards and, and showing off his intelligence and his leadership skills and his work ethic, you know, for just evaluating him on the football field. I think he's much more of a day two prospect. Uh, but I still don't think it's added a realistic possibility for him to push his way into round one. And I also don't think it's added a realistic possibility that he decides to go back to school. If he's hearing whispers or his people are hearing whispers that he is, is someone that might not be in the top, you know, 32 picks in that round one mix, maybe he just goes back to school and, and tries to, you know, have a big year next year and, and, and catapult that and, and improve his draft stock back up. So it'll be interesting to see what Fromm decides to do in that regards. If we take this to the running back position, uh, a lot of the big names here to talk about. Before we get to some of the big names, I did want to mention two guys that haven't been talked about a while on here. And one is Kylan Hill at a Mississippi State. You know, he's a guy that I talked a lot about before the season started in the early part of the year because there was a lot of really big fans on Kylan Hill looking at him and thinking he could be a top 100 pick, thinking he was a top five or top eight running back in this class. And, and for me, he was more at the, he was more in that like 10 to 13 range or 11 to 13 range than in the top 10. Uh, there's components of his game I like. Uh, but I, I think he's one of those guys that is a, Guy who is physical, runs with power, toughness, breaks tackles, great contact fidelity to absorb and deliver punishment. Uh, but he had some receiving capabilities, which made him a little bit more intriguing. But I just, I just thought his burst and and acceleration, I, I thought it was very much in you know like the Jordan Howard mold. And we've seen what the NFL really kind of views players like that. I mean, Jordan Howard coming off statistically very good years was traded for a six round pick because he's looked at as a replaceable talent level. You know, now Kylan Hill has the receiving capabilities uh, that makes him a, a, a more well-balanced prospect than, than a guy like maybe like Jordan Howard, but Kylan Hill this past week, 132 yards, 27 carries. I think he's going to be an interesting, interesting prospect in the, in the pre-draft months. My guess is he's eventually a guy who is taken in round four, round five, probably, in that in that range and I think he can carve out a role at the next level he like I said he runs tough he has some receiving capabilities I I just don't look at him maybe he can even work his way into a part of a committee but I, I don't see a guy who is is top 100 type skill set I, I I don't with, with Kylan Hill I think he could be a good you know Dave Perry type prospect like I said in round four round five uh due to his receiving capability and, and his rushing ability another guy we haven't talked much about because we just haven't really talked much about the Oklahoma running backs because what Jalen Hurts has done and everything is this revolved around Jalen Hurts you know so Trey Sermon you know Kennedy Brooks obviously right now it's it's been Kennedy Brooks' show with, with Trey Sermon missing time uh Kennedy Brooks 22 carries 160 yards and one touchdown 
he's another guy watching the study. He's in in the summer. He's in the scouting notebook. Tough physical interior runner. That's what I think about Kennedy Brooks. Uh, again, he's another guy. It's hard to get excited. I, I do think there's a lot of guys with his level of skill at the NFL level. It's really just about do you get in the right opportunity to show that. So Kennedy Brooks is another guy. I think he's probably, I don't like him as much as I like Kylan Hill. I like Kylan Hill a little bit more, but I don't think they're all that dissimilar in terms of their running ability. I think Kylan Hill has the advantage in terms of the pass game, but I think Kylan Hill is probably, I mean, I think Kylan Hill is probably a round four, round five guy. I think Kennedy Brooks is probably, you know, around five to round seven type prospect, you know, so, so Kennedy Brooks this past week, 160 yards, one touchdown, uh, reemerged a little bit. Uh, I think he's an okay prospect. I, I think he's a guy that maybe I think people thought a little bit more. I know I like Trey Sermon more when I watched both of them in the summer. Uh, I came away thinking that Sermon was the better overall prospect. Uh, but right now, Kennedy Brooks is trying to finish the season strong and, and maybe catapult that a little bit. Uh, some of the big guys. Let's talk about J.K. Dobbins. We already talked about that. Uh, Pence, uh, that Michigan Ohio State game. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, 211 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, there was a period of time that, whether it was in the summer or when the season started, that people were questioning how good of a player J.K. Dobbins was and talking about he didn't have breakaway speed and this and that. And Matt and I were, were, were and have been big fans of J.K. Dobbins and never really came off of him. I always thought he was a guy who should be a day two prospect. Should be around, I think he should be around two guys, to be honest with you. But running backs are always a tricky position to kind of exactly pinpoint draft stack because of how at the NFL level now they became a little bit more interchangeable. But I think J.K. Dobbins is a complete runner. I think he's a guy who can be a three-down player. I think he's even got more receiving capabilities than maybe we've even seen. Uh, I mean, 211 yards, four touchdowns this past weekend against Michigan. I mean, to me, he is a guy that has increased his draft stock this year while some other running backs maybe have have struggled a little bit relative to what we expected. So I think J.K. Dobbins' stock is up. I think he should be around two or early round three type player. Uh, I don't have a lot of concerns about J.K. Dobbins, and he's probably not going to, you know, he's probably going to run like four five or four five five. Uh, but that's fine with me. His vision, his, his quickness, his change of direction, his agility. Uh, I, I'm a fan of all of it. I think, I think, I think J.K. Dobbins is is probably a top five, top six back overall in this class, maybe even higher than that. Maybe I'm even underselling him, to be honest with you. Another guy, Najee Harris. I mean, this guy, I hope over the last couple of weeks, he's, he started to change the narrative a little bit about what people thought about him. People questioning, you know, would he be an NFL guy? I mean, this guy was a monster recruit. I remember Matt talking about him and showing me high school film on this kid. And, and he just, he's finally put it all together. Now Alabama has asked him to do more with, with once two, was injured. And then, you know, then injured for the season. And, Najee Harris has just answered the bell and for a big guy, he's got wiggle. He's got some quickness. He's got, you know, he's, he, he builds up his speed. He's got quick feet, change it, some change of direction, stop and go stuff with him. Uh, he has shown some receiving capabilities this past week in the four catches, 26 yards, 146 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, I think he's going to do well in terms of some of the testing, you know, the adjusted weight stuff and, and all that stuff. I think his jumps will be pretty good, but I think Najee Harris has pushed his way into the round two early round remix. Uh, and, and I think he belongs in the top six, top seven, top eight conversation at the running back position. A little bit uh, less talked about recently is AJ Dillon at a Boston college. I I'm still a fan of AJ Dillon. I understand there's receiving questions about him for sure. You know, but I still think as a pure runner, I mean, he's done pretty impressive considering Boston College is not a very good football team. Uh, I think you put A.J. Dillon in the right situation. He is, he was on the freak list, Bruce Feldman's freak list before the season started. I think he's got athleticism that people don't even really realize. And yes, he hasn't shown much in the receiving game, but it's also part of, we don't really know if it's just them not using him. And maybe he could be a serviceable player down the line. But I think A.J. Dillon should be in the mix to be a top 100 pick. And and I think when he tests out really well, that could really generate and help his stock. And I do think for a man his size, he is going to test out pretty well. Uh, a couple other guys, Trevor Hubbard, we talk about him a lot, 104 yards and a touchdown. I'm fascinated to see what the NFL thinks of Chubba Hubbard because he's a guy that is a big play waiting to happen. The NFL is looking for those difference makers, but I still 
look at him and see a role player at the NFL level and don't see a guy who I think can carry, you know, a 16 to 20 carry workload at the NFL level, constantly running between the tackles. I think you got to kind of get him in space a little bit. That's more his game, utilize his receiving capabilities, his kick return capabilities. So I think he's an offensive weapon that the NFL is going to be intrigued by. I think that probably puts him on the map as a round three type prospect who you know, maybe can slide to round four, but I think a team probably looking for another offensive, you know, you know, player that can make big plays, especially in open field and open space. I think Hubbard probably finds his range there. Uh, Zach Moss, 20 carries, 88 yards and a touchdown this week. I think Moss is more of a date free prospect. I have, again, some receiving concerns. I don't think he's athletic as an AJ Dillon or anybody like that. Uh, but he, he is who he is. I, I think for a man his size, he's got quick feet. He runs with power. He's got good finishing ability, the ability to deliver punishment, bounce off tacklers, pick up extra yards, uh, the aggression that he runs with. There's a lot to like about Zach Moss. I'm just not as high as him on, as some people are. Uh, I think he's more of a Dapery type guy. And then Cam Akers, obviously Florida State, another horrendously bad season. Uh, I, I'm, I can't quit Cam Akers. I still think he's one of the more balanced and well-rounded running backs in this class. I'll be interested to see what the NFL thinks of him. Uh, is he a guy that just the Debbie community and the draft Twitter community has just continued to remain high on and the NFL thinks differently? Or are, are some of the whispers that before the season started that Cam Akers was a very unheralded prospect in terms of the NFL eyes? Do those find, do those come to not be the truth and he does push his way into the top 100 mix whereas i believe he should be so that's gonna be an interesting one take this to the pass catchers you know talk about first the tight end position cole Komet, five catches 77 yards let's talk about him a lot i think there's a legitimate chance that he's pushed his way into possibly being one of the top tight ends in this draft class uh finally fulfilling some of that potential so i, I think that's you know something that is interesting to monitor closely uh, in addition, Colby Parkinson hasn't had the year that I was kind of hoping for. I think he was going to have a little bit more of a breakout year, but I do think that uh, he's another guy that that will intrigue teams as well. Uh, and then we got to talk about it. I mean, it happened last week, and we didn't and we didn't talk about it. Is Grand Calcaterra retiring from football due to concussions? I mean, that is not. You know, that's stunning news, you know, good for him worrying about his safety and taking care of himself. But Grant Calcaterra, I mean, when you stop and think about it, I thought he had a legitimate chance to be the first tight end taken in this in this draft. You know, I thought he was a guy that could be a Mark Andrews, Evan Ingram type receiver, you know, at the next level. Like and to to walk away is just a it's you know, it shows that players you know, at all levels are starting to be way more cognizant of the dangers of football and especially of concussions. So I, I think, you know, it's good for him that he's done that, you know, you know, selfishly, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching him as a player, but, but, you know, long-term he's probably making the right decision for him, especially, uh, you know, if, if he's had, you know, concussion injuries in the past and he's just concerned about his long-term well-being but I, I do think it changes the narrative a little bit about the the tight end class it was already a lacking star-studded tight end group you know I didn't know if there was gonna be anybody in round one I my favorites were Hunter Bryan and Grant Calcaterra and and now it's clearly Hunter Bryan's my favorite but he's not going to be for everybody because he's he's more of a pass catching only type tight end and limited in terms of what you could do with him. And it's why I think a guy like Cole Komet could really push his way into the top 100 mix and maybe be one of the top tight ends in this class. So that that's interesting to follow closely. If we take this to the wide receiver position, uh, Colorado State, they always seem to put out wide receivers that, that are intriguing. And this year, it's, it, it's no different. Warren Jackson is a guy that we need to ha- have on our radar. He's 6'6", 219 pounds. Uh, this past week, eight catches, 84 yards, and a touchdown. He's a bigger possession-style type wide receiver. So it's someone you want to keep an eye on. You're going to hear that name a little bit in the pre-draft process. I haven't watched a, a lot of film on him. He's someone that's on my radar. Uh, I talked about Brandon Ayuk, uh, Hightower out of Boise State, Warren Jackson, uh, Justin Jefferson. Those are four guys that 
uh, I have circled as guys that I need to watch film on, uh, you know, before the new year and get them added to the scouting notebook. And then, uh, you know, before I, I start circling back and, and watching the guys that I watch closely in the summer to update and edit my thoughts on those guys. Those are four guys right off the top of my, uh, top of my head, Jackson, Hightower, Iuk, and, uh, and Jefferson who need to be added, uh, to the scouting notebook. I think there was already 28 names or 29 names. And those are four more that that'll definitely be added there. And then any other guys that, you know, our senior bowl invites, uh, I'll try to get any of those guys in the scouting notebook as well. Uh, other guys talk about Donovan Peoples Jones. I talk about him a lot because I still am very intrigued and can't quit his overall skill set. Three catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown this week versus Ohio State. I think Donovan Peoples Jones is going to be one of those guys that better pro career than collegiate career. Never fully put it all together to have a monster statistical year. At times, bouts some injuries, inconsistent quarterback play, inconsistent offense. But I, I think Peoples Jones is still a guy who could be a top 100 prospect. NFL teams are going to be intrigued with. T. Higgins this past week, you know, three catches, 101 yards, and two touchdowns. His ball skills, body control, ability to adjust toward his body, I think are rare and special traits. So I think T. Higgins is still a top 50 type prospect. I think that's where he deserves. Uh, Henry Ruggs, I think he's gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit with Devonta Smith playing so well. Uh, Jerry Judy getting a lot of attention. And then the underclassman who we'll talk about in the Devi slant today. Uh, but I still think Henry Ruggs, his explosion, his, his time speed when he, when he eventually tests, he still is a big play game breaker waiting to happen that I continue to say he's going to go a lot higher than people even think he's going to go higher than some of the big name wide receivers that we've heard a lot about because the NFL team is looking for that that offensive weapon that can adjust the way defenses play coverage, that can adjust what they do on offense. And I think Henry Ruggs has that capabilities regardless of what his market share is, regardless of his statistical output. The tactical advantage he brings to an offense and the threat that he brings on any plays out on the field is going to intrigue NFL teams for sure. Uh, so I think you know Henry Ruggs in Green Bay – but, but what he could do for that offense, Henry Ruggs in New England, what he can do for that offense, you know, even you look at any teams that, that need that speed component and Henry Ruggs is going to intrigue many teams, uh, in the NFL. And I think it's going to only push his, his draft stock up higher. Uh, Tyler Johnson, we've talked about him a lot. I, I did want to make note that, uh, he was accepted his invite to the shrine game. And I think that, Listen, Tyler Johnson's been one of those guys we've talked about that there it seems to be a little bit of a disconnect with the draft Twitter, Debbie Twitter community, and the people who have a little bit more of a pulse on what the NFL world and the NFL scouts are thinking. There are some people that think Tyler Johnson's a day three prospect, around five, around six guys. And then the Debbie and Draft Twitter community are very high on him and think he's a round two, round three type player. Uh I, I don't I think he deserves to be in that round two, round three mix because of how great his route running is. But, you know, I thought the same thing about, I thought Stanley Morgan should be around three, round four guy last year. And then look what happened to him. So I do think, I do think there's a strong likelihood that the draft Twitter and Debbie Twitter community are probably a little bit too high in, on, in terms of Tyler Johnson. You know, I, I value and base it on what I see. So I, he's, I'm still a fan, but I do think it does speak volumes about him being invited to the shrine game. I was listening uh, to Tony Poli and Chris Tripodi on their one of their most recent podcasts, and and they were talking about Tony and Chris were talking about you know being invited to the the Shrine Game, you know does have you know while it's an important game, not being invited to the Senior Bowl, you know does mean a lot in, in some areas because the NFL teams and the NFL scouts they're they're making up a lot of the list that. Jim Nagy is sending out in terms of invites to the senior bowl and for Tyler Johnson not to be on that list. And they, there's probably like 10 or 12 or 14 wide receivers who will go to the senior bowl. And for Tyler Johnson, not to be on that list probably speaks volumes in terms of right now, what he's looked at. So maybe he balls out the shrine game and gets bumped up, you know, Maybe he gets invited to both when, when, when push comes to shove. We don't know, but I but that was a great point by Tony and Chris to talk about that a little bit and and really hone in on the fact that when you get invited to the Shrine Game instead of the Senior Bowl, you kind of got to 
step back a little bit and, and maybe adjust some the narrative a little bit in terms of how high you think they might be able to be taken. doesn't mean you, could, you need to change your narrative on what you think of them as a player, but I do think you have to be a little bit more realistic in terms of what, maybe what it means in terms of their draft stock and, and, and where they can be selected on draft weekend. Uh, the last wide receiver I want to talk about is Tamarian Terry out of Florida State. Seven catches, 131 yards. He's another guy who I think he's going to get out of there as a redshirt sophomore. I'm very intrigued by his overall skill set. I think he's got a lot of upside and, and areas for him to still improve upon, and I'm already a fan of his game. I could see him being a surprise top 100 pick, and I think he warrants that and deserves that. So let's go to the Debbie slant. Uh, where we take a look at a couple of the top underclassmen and talk through a little bit of them. A couple things, Justin Fields, 302 yards, four touchdowns. I don't know what more there is to say about him. If it wasn't for Joe Burrow, I think Justin Fields is the Heisman Trophy winner this year. I continue to say Georgia will root a day that they let him get out of there. Now, maybe Georgia gets into the playoff and Jake Fromm wins that national title, and and I'm proven wrong. Uh because I do think that's what it would take for, for them to be right. I think Jake Fromm's got to win a national title this year, or if he stays around next year, uh, for them to be right in that decision. Because I think Justin Fields and that team could have legitimately won the national title. Uh, he just continues to impress. The debate next year, all year, between him and Trevor Lawrence is going to be a fun one. A lot of dissection on that. But just enjoy both of them because they're both special prospects. Uh, Mac Jones, what he did for Alabama this past week, he just shows you the the value of those wide receivers. But, I mean, Jones, 335 yards, four touchdowns, you know, really impressive offensive performance. Stunning that they lost, but I think upside clearly up on Mac Jones. And then I want to talk about Bo Nix. I know his stat line, not that good. 15 of 30, 173 yards and a touchdown, 6 for 44 and a touchdown in the rushing game. But every time I watch Bo Nix, I walk away thinking, give this kid some time. And by the time he's a junior, we're going to be really impressed with Bo Nix, the prospect. And he's going to be a guy that the NFL is intrigued with. And every time, and this past week, what he was able to do against Alabama, and again, not gaudy statistics, but making plays when he needed to make them. I think Bo Nix is a guy that I would like to try to get him on my roster now before he has, I think, but probably going to be a great year next year. Uh, and then obviously, another year or two before we're talking draft. Uh, I think, I think the stock will continue to rise on Bo Nix. If we take this to the wide receiver position, uh, two names that I want to bring up, actually three names I want to bring up. Jamar Chase just continues to get it done. Seven, one ninety-seven and two. There's not much left to talk about him. I'm excited to see all of the LSU wide receivers, including Jamar Chase in this game against Georgia. And then in the playoff, which I expect LSU to be there regardless of what happens this weekend. Uh, so Chase is a guy who I don't remember an underclassman stock improving as much as Jamar Chase's has in quite some time. Uh, Justin Ross, making sure people have not forgotten about him. Nine catches, 111 yards, one touchdown. Uh, I think his skill level right now, because it's kind of spread out a little bit there in that Clemson offense. You know, we've talked about T Higgins. They have so many interesting, intriguing, skilled offensive weapons. That if, if Justin Ross was somewhere else, he'd probably be putting up really gaudy stats. But he's a guy who I think is squarely going to be in the round one mix in the 2021 draft when that gets there. And then I want to talk about Jalen Waddle, the other wide receiver at Alabama, who's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle between Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Devonta Smith this year. And all Jalen Waddle does this past week is four catches, 98 yards three touchdowns and then like a 98 or 99 yard kickoff return. I mean, his big playability, his speed, he's another guy, you know, whether it's Jamar Chase, whether it's Justin Ross, whether it's Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, Rondell Moore, add Jalen Waddle to the mix. Next year's wide receiver class is going to be star studded as well in terms of guys who I think are going to be very much in the top 50 mix. Uh, Waddle, his speed, his his big playability makes him stand out also as a big-time prospect as well and not being talked about. I think this week it'll be hard to go get him right now. But, you know, Alabama's going to be a little bit out of sight, out of mind here down the home stretch of this year. There might be an opportunity. It was probably before this week, but there still might be an opportunity where people aren't valuing Jalen Waddle as much as they should just because maybe he doesn't have the stats that so many other you know top wide receiver prospects have. So Waddle's a guy that I would look to acquire anywhere that I can. If we take this to the tail of the tape where we preview this upcoming week of games, I mean, 
there's four games that, that I have circled that are, that are must watch, must DVR type games. And, you know, it's the Pac 12 title game, Utah versus Oregon. I already talked before a win and a Georgia loss, and Utah might be in the playoff. Now, I'm not sure how well they will perform in the playoff if they're there. I think they're a team that'll put up a good fight, but I don't know. I think this weekend they could lose to Oregon. And then if they, if, if Oregon wins that game and Georgia loses, I'm not sure who, who makes the playoff. I think there's one other possibility I'll talk about momentarily, but in that Utah Oregon game, obviously Zach Moss, we talk about him a lot. I'll have my eyes on him, Justin Herbert. How does he perform in this big spot? I think, you know, Herbert performing well here and then in his bowl game, I think we'd, we'd do him well to kind of change the narrative a little bit here into the pre-draft process because there are some questions forming on Justin Herbert. Jawan Johnson, uh, he's a receiver I've talked about a lot. Matt's a big fan of his game. He's had a nice bounce-back senior season here with the Ducks as well. I'll be watching him. In the SEC title game, obviously Georgia LSU. From the Georgia side, Jake Fromm, big test for him. I think this is a huge uh, game for him to 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 answer some critics' questions. Uh, DeAndre Swift, my favorite running back prospect in the draft, he should be heavily involved in this one. They need to get him 20 touches in this game, especially get him the ball in space, use his receiving capabilities. I think he's the ticket to Georgia trying to pull the upset this week, uh, getting Swift the ball 20 touches at least. On the LSU side, how does, does Joe Burrow keep his magical season going against a good Georgia defense? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we could have talked about him in the draft report. He just continues to make big plays week in and week out in the passing game and the running game. And the receivers, I talked about Jamar Chase. I talked about Justin Jefferson earlier, uh, Terrence Marshall. I mean, a lot of guys there that, you know, interested to see how they perform in this game against Georgia. Like I said, I think LSU's in unless they get blown out. I, I think even with a loss, if it, as long as it's reasonably close, I still think they would be the fourth team in the playoff. Uh, but we'll see. The other game, the other, the other two games uh, is the Big Ten Championship and the Big 12 Championship. Let's start with the Big 12, Baylor versus Oklahoma. From the Baylor side, two things that, that I'm intrigued with. One is Denzel Mims. We talked about him a lot this year. I expect him to have a big game. And then uh, the other big storyline here is, is this Matt Rule's last game at, with Baylor? Because there's a lot of talk that he's going to be one of the hottest NFL coaching candidates. Uh, is it one of those scenarios that a NFL team that – you know, fires their coach. Like today, Carolina fired Ron Rivera. Like I'm sure there'll be some other teams. Is there an opportunity for maybe Matt Rule uh, to be hired by an NFL team before their bowl game? Probably not. So my guess is Matt Rule probably coaches Baylor's bowl game, but it's not impossible to see a scenario where maybe he doesn't. Uh, I think he probably does. So I think the Matt Rule storyline, what he's done with Baylor and turning that program around that was really in bad times after, you know, everything that they went through is remarkable. So I think the Matt Rule storyline is interesting. Can they pull off the big upset here over Oklahoma? And then Denzel Mims on the Oklahoma side. They're the team I talked about before. If Georgia loses, if LSU beats Georgia, I think Oklahoma and Utah are, are the two teams vying to to get into the playoff. And if that's the case, you know, Oklahoma needs to win this game and win in convincing fashion. And Baylor's really been putting up, you know, a competitive fight in just about every game. And it's remarkable what they've done. So keep close eyes on Jalen Hurts, C.D. Lamb, Kennedy Brooks, all guys that, you know, Kennedy Brooks I talked about earlier. Jalen Hurts we've talked a lot about this year. And obviously C.D. Lamb, one of the top wide receiver prospects in the country. And then the Big Ten Championship, Wisconsin, Ohio State. I guess the argument can be made the same thing I said about LSU. If Ohio State loses... I think there's a strong probability that they make it in. The only way that I think things would get really interesting is if Georgia beats LSU and Wisconsin beats Ohio State, then which one loss team, LSU or Ohio State, gets in? Because I do think either one of those one loss teams will get in over a Pac-10, I mean Pac-12 uh, Utah champion team or a Big 12 championship Oklahoma team. I, I just believe that. I believe Ohio State or LSU would get in with one loss over uh, the Pac-12 champion Utah or the Big 12 champion, possibly Oklahoma. So that would be the one intriguing scenario if you're a fan of this, everything getting blown up this weekend. Georgia beats LSU, so Georgia's in. And then 
Wisconsin beats Ohio State, and then there's LSU with one loss, Ohio State with one loss, neither of them win in their conference, and then Utah and Oklahoma win their conference championship games, and you have two one-loss conference champion winners, and then you have LSU and Ohio State who most think are the top two teams in the country, potentially with one loss. That would be the complete up-in-the-air uh crazy chaotic situation if you're a fan of cheering for things like that i don't think it'll happen i think ohio state will easily take care of wisconsin i do think lsu will beat georgia so i do think both of those teams will go undefeated and go into the playoff as the number one and number two seeds uh in that so i think the biggest storyline in the playoff is who makes the fourth team if georgia loses Let's round this out for tonight with the week 13 NFL rookie report. Uh, when we take a look at some of the top NFL rookies and, and, and dissect their game and discuss them at the quarterback position, we got to talk about Drew Locke finally got an opportunity to start for the Broncos, led them to victory this week. 18 of 28, 134 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, showed his big arm, showed his athleticism, ability to move around the pocket, push the ball at times vertically down the field. They didn't ask him to do a lot, and Cortland Sutton made a couple ridiculous plays to bail him out and to put two touchdowns up on the board, uh, but he added a little bit of jolt of energy there. I think it'll be interesting to see what Denver thinks of this kid. Are are they back in the quarterback market this year? Do they give Drew Locke a full season next year? I think that's what they should do. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what Denver thinks of this kid, uh, especially after him probably finishing out the season. So he's going to have another four weeks uh, added on to this. And do they make a decision based on that? I don't think five games is much of a sample size. And I think unless he really implodes in them uh, based on, you know, I think Denver will probably bypass a quarterback, but you know, after what we started with Arizona last year and Josh Rosen, I know that was a little bit of a unique situation. I'm not really sure you could ever say it's not possible anymore. And it's not like Drew Locke was a top five or top 10 pick that Denver passed on him multiple times, got him at like, I think pick 41 or pick 42 last year. Uh, so they're not nearly as invested in him as a team who made a pick in the, in the top 15 or so. And that leads us right to Dwayne Haskins who led the Redskins to a victory this week, but mostly was on the back of the ground game. Dwayne Haskins not asked to do much. 13 of 25, 147 yards, took five sacks. His pocket awareness has is a, got a long way to go. Uh, he's got the arm talent to make every throw, but He's, they're another team. Washington's picking in the top five, top six. Are they in the market for a quarterback? And is there going to be a new coach there? And, you know, what's the situation going to be there? I think, again, I was a Dwayne Haskins fan. I don't think they should be moving on, but will that? Uh, I don't think so, but we'll see. And then Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, the top two quarterbacks taken in this past draft. Kyler Murray had one of his worst games of the year, 163 yards, one interception, 19 of 34, took six sacks. The Rams really had him confused all game. Uh, again, I, I don't think moving forward in terms of – I think Kyler Murray is going to be a very good quarterback. And in terms of fantasy, I think he's going to be one of the top five or six dynasty quarterbacks you want to own. Uh, I think there's this growing pains and, you know, it goes up and down. And I think this is one of those bad weeks. And then Daniel Jones for the Giants, 20 of 37, 240 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. No fumbles in this game, but unfortunately still had three turnovers with the interceptions. Daniel Jones, listen, I, I put out a tweet, I think it was a couple of days ago, that one of the Giants beat writers says it's clear that Daniel Jones has regressed. And I think it's a really, really poor choice of words. I don't really think you could say a rookie quarterback has regressed. To me, regress is something you use when a guy has shown a level of consistent production or consistent performance, and then all of a sudden he doesn't grow off of that and develop off of that, that he takes a turn back. I would use the word regress to just to describe Baker Mayfield and how good he played as a rookie and what we've seen this year and his inconsistencies. I would even say you can use the word regress a little bit for Sam Darnold because Sam Darnold came into this year, you know, with a lot of people thinking he was going to take the next step. You know, he finished the, his rookie season very strong. It was his second year. You know, you expected a lot of growth and then that the mono thing knocked him out a little bit. But he's he hasn't he's regressed a little bit in terms of maybe what people thought he showed at the end of last year. But even him, I think it's a little bit more of this inconsistency in the beginning of the year was so weird for him this year. Uh, but Baker Mayfield, I think the word regress fits. They know Jones. I don't think the word regress fits. You know, there's this narrative that you know he started out great. Yeah, his first game was great, and the national media and the New York media went way too over the top about one game against Tampa Bay, which is a pass funnel defense. Then his next really, then he was mediocre in his second game against Washington, which they won. He wasn't asked to do a lot, but then he had then he had rough spots against New England, against Minnesota. Uh, 
he had a really good game. I thought against the Lions when he threw for four touchdowns. I thought he had a good game against the Jets. And there's this misconception that those were garbage time stats. Look at the box scores. Look at the score at going into the fourth quarter. The the Giants were winning, you know, beating the Jets. And then the Jets outscored them like 10 nothing in the fourth quarter to lose the game. In the Lions game, the Giants were down like by five or six points going into the fourth quarter. So, And most of Daniel Jones' production was prior to that. So th- this narrative that Daniel Jones has padded his stats stats in these good games it's just not true and those good games have been spread out over the entire season and he's had bad games sprinkled in throughout the season and he's had average or mediocre games sprinkled out throughout the season so i i don't think regress is the right word i think it's an actual terrible adjective to describe daniel jones's season i think inconsistent i think growing pains i think ups and downs of a rookie i think that those are way better adjectives to describe daniel jones's rookie season you know and and let's not lose sight of you know, he's playing on one of the worst teams in football, a historically bad defense that does nothing to help the offense. A Saquon Barkley who looks like a shell of him his rookie year, whether it's injuries or whatever the case. An offensive line that was supposed to be significantly better this year, which has been horrendous based on Nate Solder being one of the worst offensive tackles in football this year. Playmakers in and out of the lineup, Evan Ingram injury, Sterling Shepard injury, now Golden Tate injured. You know, so listen. I, I've, I've talked a lot about Daniel Jones, so I'm not going to stay on this topic too long. I'm, I've been impressed with what I've seen. Does he have a lot to work on? For sure. Ball security at the top of the list. You know, getting through his progressions a little bit quicker. For sure. Uh, having his mental clock a little speed up his processing a little bit. For sure. But at the same time, what the Giants are putting on his plate compared to, say, what the Redskins are putting on Dwayne Haskins' plate compared to what the Broncos put on Drew Locke's plate this week. From the first day that Daniel Jones took over the quarterback, the Giants have not been babying him. They have opened up their whole playbook. They are letting him run everything, and they're not scaling back the offense and saying, you know, we're going to minimize what we allow him to do. And you can see that. They let him throw the ball all over the field all game. And I think that speaks volumes of what they think about him. I think his ball placement at times has been really good, leading receivers, putting them in the right situation. Uh, I think he his accuracy vertically down the field is better than people gave him credit for. I don't think arm talent is an issue at all. I think at times he puts really good touch. The touchdown pass to Sterling Shepard this past week was excellent. A couple of throws to Darius Slayton were excellent this past weekend. So there's been a lot to like about his game. And there's been a lot of areas that he still needs to grow and develop. But I think those areas that he struggled with this year are areas that are fixable. They're areas that most rookie quarterbacks struggle in. So I'm still high on Daniel Jones uh, and think he's the long-term answer. I don't think the Giants are going to be thinking quarterback at the top of this draft. I think their eyes will be on Chase Young. And if he's not available, the best offensive tackle in the draft. If we take this to the running back position, uh, Josh Jacobs, the, again, I want to talk about Josh Jacobs for a second. He went over a hundred yards this past week, but Kansas city was blowing out Oakland. So he wasn't heavily involved in the second half. I love Josh Jacobs, a player, but I am a little concerned about what is his long-term value. If, if Gruden is there for the long haul with Oakland and he doesn't view Josh Jacobs as being a guy who should be in, involved in the receiving game, I don't, I do think it really hinders his long-term fantasy value and upside in terms of his consistency because it it just makes it so much harder in terms of you know he's so game dependent and and touchdown dependent and I think maybe it's just his rookie year they don't want to put too much on his plate because Josh Jacobs was a really good receiver and he's a guy who I think squarely should be in the top 10 or 12 top 12 dynasty running backs in anybody's list because I think he's one of the top seven to ten talented running backs in the entire league right now uh but I do wonder what some other people might think about his long-term value. Uh, I think it's just this year. I think he'll be more involved in the past game moving forward uh, is what I'll think about it. Darwin Thompson, the guy who I was a big fan of in the pre-draft process, uh, got an opportunity this week due to Damian Williams not playing and then uh, Daryl Williams getting injured during the game. 11 carries, 44 yards. I think he's a buy-low guy. And even if they're, even if Damian Williams is healthy, I'm not talking buy low right now. I think he's the guy that you want to buy as soon as the season. I almost hope he doesn't play down the stretch here because if he, if he does play well down the stretch here, it's going to be harder to get him. I almost hope Damian Williams is back and I almost hope Darwin Thompson's is pushed back into the back burner because if he is, then he becomes a great great by low as soon as the offseason ends because I do think there's an opportunity that LaShawn McCoy is not on the Chiefs next year Darrell Williams is just there 
Damian Williams, who knows? I think there's an opportunity for Darwin Thompson to move up that depth chart a little bit. So I'd be trying to buy low on him if that opportunity exists right after the season ends. If he does things down the stretch, I think that opportunity probably goes by the wayside because then everyone's going to be saying the same thing. Look how he finished a year. He's going to, he's, he's a guy that no way we're selling low on. Uh, Benny Snell continues to get work with James Conner out. I think he's a mediocre talent. Uh, I don't see long-term value there with Benny Snell. And then the guy that I'm wondering, you know, what are we to make of Damian Harris? I mean, I don't think he's even been, I think he was active one game this year for New England. You know, is he a guy that next year is going to get an opportunity? I mean, New England invested a, a, a first round pick on Sony Michelle and then a top 100 pick on Damian Harris consecutive years. And Sony Michelle has really struggled this year at times, not being involved in the passing game, struggles to get things going, very game dependent, game flow dependent, touchdown dependent. And then Damian Harris was a top 100 pick and he's barely got involved. He's gotten, hasn't gotten involved at all. So I don't know what his dynasty value is either. So he's a guy that maybe I'd be willing to throw a mid to late third round rookie pick for him and try to get him on my roster to see if maybe next year after Sony Michelle kind of didn't do too much this year, maybe they give Damian Harris an opportunity next year. Uh, but I don't know. He's an, in- he's a very interesting one to try to get a gauge on what his value is right now at the tight end position. I'll continue to say by low on TJ Hawkinson and Noah fan. Uh, Noah fan struggled this week, not really heavily involved with drew lock. That might be the case down the stretch here. Uh, TJ Hawkinson on IR, obviously a really poor year besides that week one when he had a great game against Arizona. I think both of them are guys that I'd be trying to buy. Both of those guys way, way better than any tight end prospect that's going to come out of the draft this year. Great upcoming draft here in 2020 dynasty rookie drafts. Maybe you can get one of those guys for a early to mid second round rookie pick and you need a tight end. And I would be trying to go buy those guys. I think both of those guys have the ability to be top seven or top eight dynasty fantasy tight ends in the long run at the wide receiver position. Uh, I talked about Darwin Thompson buying low. I'm also going to buy low on Nicole Hardman. I don't think Sammy Watkins is going to be back on the Chiefs next year. I think they can get out of his salary without much of a cap hit. He hasn't done anything besides week one. I think Nicole Hardman, they see the talent level. If you think back to what Tyreek Hill did early in his career, we kept every time he made a big play, you wondered if like it couldn't happen. He couldn't morph into a full-time everyday play, every down player, and he did. I think Nicole Hardman could have a very similar trajectory. So I'm trying to get Nicole Hardman offer a mid to late second round rookie pick. Might not even, it might even take a it might even be a late second round rookie pick if people start getting excited for rookie picks. I would try to get Nicole Hardman on my team and be aggressive doing it in the offseason. Uh Marquise Brown, I love the talent and we know he's gonna have spike weeks. With the offense that Baltimore is running, if this is what the the Lamar Jackson-led Ravens' offense is going to be at times, does Marquise Brown become a very inconsistent wide receiver, wide receiver three, four type forever? Or is there capabilities for Lamar Jackson to continue to improve passing and there can be more consistent production and maybe Marquise Brown could be eventually a wide receiver too? I'd like to think that because I think Marquise Brown's skill set is very uh, is very in- intriguing. I think he's a way better route runner than people give him credit for. Uh, but I do think there are some concerns. And as he struggles a lot down the stretch, he'd be another guy that I'd be willing to buy with an early to mid second round rookie pick. And I might even be willing to buy with a late first round rookie pick if I believe that that Lamar Jackson could continue to pass even better than we've seen this year. And Marquise Brown could be a little bit more consistent uh, moving forward, but I don't even think it would take a round one rookie pick. I think an early round two rookie pick could potentially get you Marquise Brown. Uh, I would try to see if, if you need, if, if you like Marquise Brown as much as I do, I think somewhere in that early to mid second round is, is a good price to try to put out there as a feel and see what the guy who owns Marquise Brown and then Debo Samuel stock up. I think he's going to be San Francisco's number one wide receiver next year. He was one of my top five wide receiver prospects last year. He was in my top two or top three after the, after the draft in my, you know, post draft uh, dynasty rookie rankings. I, I, every week Debo Samuel, his, his ability to run routes, his game, uh, his ability to make plays after the catch, his physicality and toughness. He can he can be used in a variety of ways. Debo Samuel stuck up. And I'll say stock down on Nikhil Harry. New England is starving for a wide a playmaking wide receiver. And if Nikhil Harry can't make an impact and get more snaps and more playing time and Jacoby Myers is being trusted more than him, 
I'm not sure. I said it when the minute Nikhil Harry was drafted that I think Nikhil Harry's best fantasy days might come when uh, when Tom Brady retires because Tom Brady is just not the guy who's going to who throws the ball up and lets his receivers go make a play. Besides when he had a all-world Randy Moss, that's just not really Tom Brady's game, and it's definitely not Tom Brady's game at the later stage of his career or the final year or years of his career. And Nikhil Harry is not a guy that creates much separation quickness. He's not a great route runner. He's a guy that wins. He always won with physicality and toughness at the catch point, bullying defenders in the Pac-12. And that's not going to work at the NFL level. So he needs a quarterback that's willing to throw the ball up for him to use his physicality to try to win at the catch point in an Alshon Jeffrey type way. But he's not playing with a quarterback that does that. He's not playing an offensive scheme that does that. So, and if Nikhil Harry couldn't make a lot of noise this year, listen, he's a rookie, he missed a lot of time with injuries. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But if someone is still high on him and I own Nikhil Harry, I would try to get out. If I can get a late to mid, late round one to mid round two rookie pick for Nikhil Harry, if someone is still really high on him, I think I would do it and get out, to be honest with you. Uh, I was never that high on him. He was like my number six wide receiver, I think, six or seven in the pre-draft process. I was stunned that he, was, he went round one. Uh, I didn't like the landing spot. I thought the draft capital maybe would, would help him. But when New England, we've seen that, it doesn't really matter. They'll put the guys out who just can play the best and, and fill a role. And I think Nikhil Harry is struggling to fill that role. And if it's not this year and the opportunity that's there for someone in desperate need of a, of a playmaking wide receiver right now for New England, I'm not sure it's in the immediate future. So I think his stock is down. I'd be very concerned about him uh, long term. I think he is who he is. He wins at the catch point and he's great at the catch point. But to make a living like that with the at the NFL is is a lot harder to do in the NFL than it is at college. And if you have separation quickness concerns, I think that's an issue. If you have some route refinement needed and route development needed, that's an issue. And if you play with a team that doesn't really push the ball like that and put it in, in tight windows for a receiver to make a catch, I think that makes things tricky. So that those are my worries about Nikhil Harry. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, though. Missed a lot of time. You know, rookies, wide receivers sometimes take some time. So, listen, he might come back next year and be the guy that that so many people love. I have some concerns. I've always had some concerns with it. Uh, I think if I had, the, if I don't own him in any dynasty leagues, but if I did, I would see if I can get out and and recoup a pick in anywhere between late round one to mid round two uh, of a rookie twenty twenty rookie pick, and 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 take my chances uh, with a different player that I think just. You know, I'm more intrigued with their skill set, their opportunity, and their landing spot. So there it is, guys. The NFL Rookie Report for Week 13. If you've been enjoying uh, the coverage that I've been providing, uh, hopefully Matt can be back next week with me. Please, guys, get over to ssfootball.com. It's the quickest way to get over to our website. You can type it all out to Saturday to the number two Sunday, football.com as well, or just type in ssfootball. Check out the premium content uh, tab and check out our premium notebooks. A little bit of a lull in our sales uh, in the last month or so. Usually they pick back up uh, for the pre-draft months, you know, around late December through, you know, literally draft weekend. Uh, so if you're a fan of the show, it is the best way to help support us guys. We don't have a Patreon account, so we really do rely on these sales of the notebooks. We want to give you lots of content, uh, for a small price of nine 99, you get all four notebooks. It is the way to help continue, uh, for us to invest in the show, continue to do what we're doing, uh, every single year for you guys. Uh, so we hopefully that you consider, uh, purchasing it. Uh, it does greatly help us. If not, Please get over to wherever you listen to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out tremendously as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. Enjoy championship weekend for college football this this upcoming weekend. And I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.